Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so happy to see you here with us today. Whether you're with us in person at Terryville, Torrington, New Britain, or online, we welcome you. My name is Judah Thomas, and I'm the lead pastor here at Thrive, and we are so happy to have you with us. And we are in a series called Nerves of Steel. Nerves of Steel. And maybe you've had to do something in your life that required some nerves of steel. Maybe uh, it was, you know, proposing to someone saying, will you marry me? And that takes some, some nerves. Or maybe it's changing jobs or, or moving or going on a trip out of the country. Have you ever had to do something that required some nerves of steel? Okay, about half of you. And the other half, that takes nerves not to raise your hand in church, okay? Um, but, you know, many of us, we, we do these things. Some people love things like that, and some people, we avoid those things as much as we possibly can. But this series, we're going to be studying the life of Daniel. Daniel was an Old Testament prophet. He was in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, and this is long before Jesus came onto the scene. And, and all throughout this, we're learning how to represent yourself in a culture that is contrary to God. And it's amazing how not much has changed in the thousands of years since Daniel was in Babylon to where we are now. We still have to represent ourselves in a culture that is contrary to God. And, and, and this is all about how to live a life in an ungodly world, how to find truth in times of uncertainty. It's, it's like nobody knows what truth is anymore. Everybody you know, has all these different ideas and, and there's no such thing as truth anymore. I believe that God wants us to stand firm and strong on the truth of his word. If there's one thing I know about Daniel though, it's that Daniel had nerves of steel. He was determined to stand strong whatever the cost may be. So we're going to read here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, now we talked about Nebuchadnezzar last week a little bit. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. His father had founded it, and now he was the reigning king here. It says, One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. You ever had dreams that you couldn't sleep before? Anybody, you know, a few of you, you know, I've had dreams at times in my life where I have like a really, really bad dream, and the next night, like, I'm almost hesitant to go to sleep. You know, it's like, like I don't want to pick up where that one, <coughs> excuse me, left off. You know, it's like you got the bad guy chasing you or something. Like, like I don't, I don't want to find out what happens when he gets me, okay? Um, but here he had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. And these apparently were repetitive dreams. I don't know if they were all the same, but he kept having these dreams. He couldn't sleep. And he called in his magicians, his enchanters, his sorcerers, and his astrologers, and he demanded them to tell him what he had dreamed. And as they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. I must know what it means. He had a dream. Not like Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. This is a different dream altogether. You know, do you know we dream every single night? You have dreams every single night. Now, you ask people, and some people say, well, I don't ever dream. 
No, we're not talking about having the ability to recall your dreams. I'm just saying we all dream. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, I know I had a dream. I know it was nice, but I can't remember what it was. The average person has between four and six dreams every single night. And, and, and they go all throughout the night, but we may not always be able to recall them. Fortunately for most of us, one of the things that our creator built into us is the, that, that our body goes into a form of paralysis when we have dreams so we don't actually act out the dreams that we're dreaming because that would be problematic. Now, occasionally, one of those you know, actions will break through and we'll have things like sleepwalking or sleep talking because we're acting these out. But for the most part, our bodies are paralyzed as we have these dreams. And this King Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by a dream that he's having. And he's paying good money for people to tell him what his dreams mean. Like this is what they're paid to do. He's got magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers. Like he's covering all of his bases because he wants to know the future. He wants to understand his dreams. Now many people in ancient worlds and still believe that that sleep blurs the lines between the living world and the spirit world. And ancient civilizations often viewed dreams as the ability to access divine wisdom. And, and here's the truth of the matter. In your notes, God may speak to people through dreams. Now, now, some dreams are inspired by God. We see through the Bible, we see Joseph and Pharaoh and Samuel, all these people having dreams. But the key word here is some dreams. You know, God may speak to, but it doesn't mean all the dreams are from God. You know, I had a dream when I was, when I was younger, and it was a a dream of, of me, you know, uh, printing T-shirts and selling them. And, and many of you heard part of my story last week. And, and I had a T-shirt company for several years. And then after that, it seems like everything else that I got into, even to this very day, having a church, I'm always designing T-shirts. And it's interesting how, how God started something in a young age. It's carried throughout my life. But then I've also had these other crazy dreams before that have absolutely nothing to do with God. You know, in fact, my, you know, I, I've been in situations before, and maybe you've been in this before, where, where somebody in your household has a dream about you, and when they wake up, they're mad at you for what you did in their dream. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you had a dream. I know what you did. I had a dream about you, and then you're mad at the person. You're like, you know what? I just am not talking to you today. It's like, what did I do? Well, I don't know, but I think you're going to do something. You know, we have these dreams, and it doesn't mean that they're reality. These are not based in reality, but occasionally God may speak to us through a dream. And so King Nebuchadnezzar felt that God was speaking to him in a dream. We'll continue on with verse 4 here. It says, Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. Uh, but did you miss what he said back in verse 2? Uh, he, he, or, um, yeah, in verse 2, he says he wanted them to tell him what the dream was. He says, tell me what I dreamed. Here they're saying, wait a minute, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to his astrologers, verse 5, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. 
Now, now this seems extreme. Like maybe you've threatened somebody like, oh, I'm going to tear you limb for limb. And we don't really mean that usually. King Nebuchadnezzar meant it, okay? Like he, if he said he's going to tear you limb for limb, like he will literally tear you limb from limb, and he will destroy your home and lie in a piece of rubble. And so here he is, he's saying, no, I don't want you just to interpret my dream. I want you to tell me what my dream was. So, so the, the, they asked the, the king to tell them. He's like, you just tell us what it is, and then we can interpret it. See, this was their, this was their specialty. They were good at interpreting dreams. They would study these things. They would journal these things. In fact, you can go online or you can buy books that have like, like these dream dictionaries. And, and that's kind of like what they had. For example, you know, the dream dictionaries will say if you have a dream and in the dream is a garbage, there's a garbage can, that means that you are rejecting an idea or an emotion. That's, that's nice, isn't it? Or if you have a dream about a palm tree, this means that this represents tranquility in your life. Or if in your dream there is a ladybug that symbolizes beauty and you are about to come into good luck. Also, if you have a dream about an aardvark. Now, who has dreams about aardvarks? I do not know. But if you have a dream of an aardvark, it indicates that you are being very secretive about something, perhaps about your aardvark dreams. Um, and so, so as you would tell these sorcerers their dreams, they would go through their books and they would say, oh, you have this and this. And, and they would compile this very vague general prediction that really wouldn't take any effort at all to fulfill. But that was what they did. That was their specialty. And basically tricking people to believe they were interpreting their dreams. And to help people think that they were predicting perhaps the future. You know, we would all like to know our future. Maybe not all of the future, but a little bit of the future, right? Like we'd like to know a little bit, like, like what stocks we should buy. Maybe we'd like to know things like, like what relationship we should get into. We, we want to we wanna know these things. And knowing the future, man, it is big business. It sells. People buy, you know, astrology books and they pay somebody to look at cards and do these things and look into the, you know, the crystal ball and all of these things. But here's one thing that I am positive about, and it's in your notes. No person on earth can predict the future. Like no person and if I stepped on your toes, I'm sorry, but it's true. No person, if you don't believe me, watch the Weather Channel. They're like, it's going to snow today, and then it's, it's sunny out. Or, or it's going to be a beautiful day, and next thing we know, it's like a hurricane blowing through. Like, if we could tell the future, we would be able to predict the weather better than we currently can, okay? No person on earth can predict the future. And the king was having none of it. He finally realized that what these guys were saying wasn't true. He saw through their shenanigans. He's like, okay, if you really can tell these things, then I want you to tell me the dream also and tell me what it means. And in fact, if you can do this, whoever can do this, I will give them gifts and honor beyond measure. And so they begged him, okay, we'll predict, we'll tell you what it means, but you got to tell us the dream first. Like, we can't tell what you're dreaming. You have to tell us. And so the king calls their bluff and accuses them of stalling. He says, okay, if you can't do it, you are doomed. If you can't tell me the dream, then obviously you cannot tell me what it means either. And so, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 10, 
The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. Like, you dreamed it. You can't make us guess your dream. That's not fair. So no one can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. Underline that word impossible. The king's demand is impossible. And no one, no one except the gods could tell you your dream and they do not live here among people. No one can tell you your dream. Nebuchadnezzar, you're being unreasonable. You're threatening to kill us, but you're being unreasonable. Tell us the dream and we'll give you a prediction, but we cannot be required to tell you your dream. And essentially they're admitting We can't do this. This is far beyond our abilities. We cannot read your mind. Because we cannot read your mind, we also cannot predict the future. See, the future is uncertain to us. And the king wanted to to have some assurance of his kingdom. But they couldn't read his mind. They did not know what the dream was. In your notes, it's only possible to know the future if God is the one who tells you. If God tells you, then you can know. But unless he tells, see, he's the only one who stands outside of time. And it is impossible for us to predict future events. We can't predict the stock market. We can't predict the weather very well. We can't predict elections. We can't predict really anything. You know, it's like the, 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 the story I heard of a guy, he wanted to go to a psychic seminar, and he showed up at the, the conference hall, and on the door was a sign that said, psychic seminar canceled due to unforeseen events. It's like, you should have seen it coming, guys. Another guy I heard, he said he wanted to, to get you know, his fortune told, and he went up, And he stood in front of the house, and he never knocked, and he never rang the door, and the door never opened. So he decided he would leave because he figured any psychic would know that he was standing there waiting. So here's the thing. The only one who can tell these things is God. And and the king Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, this is what I'm paying you to do. Like, I'm paying you to be able to do this. And he's livid. And he realizes that he's being played. He realizes that he's being scammed. And he puts out a death warrant for any of these advisors. Just kill them all. Tear them limb for limb. Destroy their homes. Destroy everything. I don't want another one of these advisors in my presence again. He's had it. He's sentenced them all to die. He is the judge, jury, and executioner all in one saying, that is it. I'm done with you because you cannot perform this, what he thought to be simple task. And he knew that they weren't trustworthy. You know, they, they, they would say what, he, that, what they thought he wanted them to hear. Like they would just kind of come, because nobody wanted to give the king bad news. So they'd be like, oh, king, your reign will rule forever. Like they would just kind of make up stuff. They didn't want to give him bad news. And this king had spent money and time and energy to train these advisors, to equip them to be the best, to be the brightest. But when God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream, they could not help him. They could not predict what the dream was. So then the commander of the army goes around and he begins rounding them all up to kill them all. All the advisors, all the magicians, all these, okay, we're all going. You're all going to be executed. And then they come to a certain man named Daniel. 
They come to Daniel, and they say, come on, Daniel, you're coming with me. We're going to execute you. Now, Daniel does not panic, as many of us probably would. He does not plead for his life because he has nerves of steel, and he handles the situation with tact and with wisdom. And here is what we see in Daniel chapter 2, verse 15. He asked Arioch, who is the commander of the king's army. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? He doesn't even know what this is all about. He has no clue, but he's going to be led to his death because of something that someone else was unable to do. So Arioch told him all that had happened. Now this implies that Daniel already had some influence because he asked the commander, what's going on here? And the commander stops and explains it to him. He didn't have to stop and explain, but he did. Verse 16, Daniel went at once to see the king, and he requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Again, this shows that Daniel was a person of influence for him to go boldly into the king and say, hey, excuse me, I know you want us dead, but can you just give me a little bit of time? Can you give me a little bit of time? Then verse 17, then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, These were the same three who were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was their Babylonian names. These are their Hebrew names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened? And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. So they would not be executed along with the other wise men in Babylon. So the commander comes, he's going to execute him. He says, can you give me a little bit of time? And then he goes back and he says, guys, we need to pray. See, Daniel did not rush into a hasty decision. He did not just kind of try to make something up as he went along. He said, I need a little bit more time. He didn't just make something up. He knew that only God could solve this problem. And he requested the time that he could consult with his God, not with these pagan gods, not with these idols, but his God, the God of heaven. And he said to his buddies, let's have a prayer meeting. I think we would all want to go and have some prayer in a time like that. God, please help us. But in your notes, let me tell you, this is true, that a life of prayer will give you nerves of steel. When you are having a life of prayer, when you live in constant communication with the Heavenly Father, and we see this was a discipline all throughout Daniel's life that he regularly prayed to God. He regularly talked to God. And when you have a life of prayer, it emboldens you. It strengthens you. It gives you these nerves of steel. So where do you turn when you are facing difficulties? Is prayer your last resort, or is it your first response? When you go through difficulties and hardships, are you trying to figure it out all on your own, or do you turn to the Heavenly Father and say, before I do anything else, I need to spend some time in prayer. So here is Daniel. He is not panicking. He is not afraid. He just says, I need a little bit more time. And as he is praying and as he is seeking God, He has not a dream, but he has a vision, and God shows him the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. So it is only possible to know these things, only possible to know the future if God tells you God is the only one who knows the future. You won't get it from stars or cards or a fortune cookie from the Chinese restaurant. 
That is not where your future will be told. It, it is only known by our God who is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing, that he knows everything from the hairs of your head to where you'll go and what you'll do. So Daniel has been revealed what the dream was. And then in verse 25, it says, Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I found one of the captives from Judah. If you remember, Daniel, he was there as an advisor, but he was actually in exile. He had been kidnapped from his homeland. He had been brought hundreds of miles away, ripped away from his family, his livelihood, everything he knew and loved, ripped away, brought to Babylon, where they forced an education upon him. But he rose through the ranks and now is an advisor to the king. But he is still considered a captive. Arioch says, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, that was his Babylon name, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. He must be thinking, then why did you come in here? If none of you can do it, why are you standing here? He's like, there's none of them that can reveal the secret. But there is a God, underline those words. But there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. There's no wise men. There's no magicians. There's no fortune tellers or psychics who can do this. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions that you saw as you lay on your, on your bed. Dave, uh, Daniel came in there with confidence. He was sure that he knew what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamt. And unlike the Babylonian wise men, Daniel was not seeking glory for himself. He didn't say, yes, king, I figured it out. Yes, I am just the best advisor that you have. I was capable of it. No, he gave all of the glory to God. See, because it was God who supernaturally gave the dream to Daniel. He said, there is a God in heaven. They can't do it, and even I can't do it, but there is a God in heaven. They can't tell you, but there is this God in heaven. And then he begins to tell him of the dream. He says, oh, king, as you lie asleep, you saw a vision of a statue. And this is a great statue, and the head was made out of gold. And then the chest and arms were made out of silver. The belly and thighs were made out of bronze. And the legs were made out of iron. And the feet were made out of a combination of iron mixed with clay. And then a stone fell from the heavens, a stone that had never been cut by man. And it hit the feet of the statue, and the entire statue crumbled and turned to dust. And the wind blew it away, and the stone grew, and it covered the entire earth. And so the king is like, wow, that, that is the dream that I had. He's like, I mean, imagine how mine was like, wow, you actually did it. Like, I didn't think it was possible, but you actually did it. And then Daniel says, and now let me tell you what it means. He says, the, the head of gold represents your kingdom, O Nebuchadnezzar. 
There is no king that is greater than you. And this represents the Babylonian Empire. Gold was a, was a, a common metal in that kingdom of Babylon. They say that Nebuchadnezzar's entire throne was made of solid gold. The buildings were adorned with gold. People did not even think twice about gold because it was everywhere. They said that is the kingdom that you are in, but there will be a kingdom that follows Less valuable, but there will be another kingdom that follows. This chest and arms of silver. And now he's beginning to predict the future. Sure enough, there was a kingdom that came and defeated the Babylonians. And just as we have two arms, this kingdom had two arms. It's known as the the Medo-Persian Empire. And it came and had world power for a long time. And And then the belly and thighs were made out of bronze. And this represented the Greek empire led by Alexander the Great. And so he's predicting what Alexander the Great would do. And and it was made out of bronze. And if you know much about that culture, there's bronze statues of Alexander and the coins were made out of bronze. And then he said, and then the legs will be made out of iron. And that was representative of the fourth world power that would come. And that was the Roman Empire. The Romans were known for their use of iron in their helmets and their shields. But just as there's two legs, there was two legs to the Roman Empire. There was the the Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire. And this was the last world-dominating empire. And then the feet, which was a combination of iron and clay, Many believe that that is prophetic of a ten-kingdom reign that will come at some point in the future. And we see this reflected later in Daniel, as well as in the New Testament with Revelations, this kingdom. And then the stone comes from the sky, and guess who that represents? That represents Jesus Christ, our Lord, who comes and crushes this uh, statue, crushes it, and it all crumbles. And the kingdom of God expands, and uh, and the whole earth could not contain it. And this is the prophecy. This is the dream. This is the revelation that Daniel is able to give to King Nebuchadnezzar. When Daniel was facing execution, he realized, but there is a God in heaven. Yeah, I can't do this on my own. I can't go and tell you what somebody dreamt last night or last week, but there is a God in heaven. But God, but God can do it. I don't know the dream, but God, but God does know it. And your notes, when we face difficulties, we must remember that there is a God in heaven. I don't know what you're facing right now in your life. Maybe you're facing financial hardships, but God, but there is a God in heaven. Maybe you're facing a relational crisis in your life, but God. Maybe you're failing when you should be passing, but God. Maybe you're going through something and the doctor says there is no hope, but God. But there is a God in heaven, as it says in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of your needs. Not some of your needs, not occasionally your needs, but he says, my God shall supply. But my God, whatever you're facing, the difficulties, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. So no matter what you're facing, but God, he will supply. No matter what you're facing, he will defend. No matter what you're facing, 
He will protect. No matter what you're going through, he will guide. But my God is faithful. But my God is holy. But my God is powerful. But my God is trustworthy. But my God is wise. But my God is forgiving. But my God is able to do far more than I could ever ask or imagine. And we can have nerves of steel. Because God is able, but my God is able. He will not let you down. He is your fortress. He is your shield. And we have a God in heaven who has our back. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you that you are greater, you are stronger, and you are more powerful than anything that we face in life than any business deal gone bad, than any relationship that's breaking apart, than any financial crisis, than any failure, you are stronger. But my God, and we come to you now and ask you to give us nerves of steel like Daniel had. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord, please don't let another day go by. I believe God is calling you right now. He's inviting you into his family. Scripture says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So won't you call on his name? Won't you call on his name as Daniel did say, but my God, I come to you. If you believe God raised Jesus from the dead, and you say with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord, then you'll be saved. Don't you call on him. Say, Jesus, you are my Lord, we may be facing depression right now, but God. We may be facing anxieties now, but God. We may be facing all kinds of difficulties and circumstances and diagnosis, but God. But you are able. You are powerful. You are stronger. You are capable of doing what no man can do. But my God shall supply. But my God shall heal. But my God shall protect and guide and lead and transform and give me the freedom from the things that hold me back. And we put our trust and our faith in you. In Jesus' name and all that agree, say amen.